0: episode number 41. I'm live from Lake Charles, Louisiana, my old stomping grounds
1: for five years. And I'm with the number one man himself, Lonnie Benoit. What's up, dude?
0: (laughs) I finally got you on. That's what's up.
1: Well,
2: glad to be here, man.
0: Yeah, man. The, uh, Lonnie was my teacher um, during my time at McNeese. I've mentioned him a bunch of times on this podcast, but so if you're an avid listener, you know who he is pretty much already, but I wanted to bring him on because um, his dog barks really loud, and then he uh, <laughs> uh, has two dogs named Boudin and Gumbo, and they, uh, they like to bark really, really loud, so. but they'll be a part of the podcast, too. The... Um, Yeah, I wanted to bring him on because he has uh, an extensive career within percussion and higher education and playing and all the above. And he, there would be no me if there was no him. I would put it that way. So thanks for coming on, man.
2: It was my pleasure, man. And you would have made this on your own, by the way. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, I I know.
0: But but, uh, yeah, so... The this is my first time being back since the hurricane hit, and it was a little tough to watch. Uh, you took me around yesterday. It was a little, little tough to watch, but
1: um, I think, uh, I think this city will will persevere. I don't know. It's um, it's
0: really you know, my. You, I mean, you can ask anybody, or you can ask him. The my mouth was wide open the entire time we were driving around.
2: It's uh, crazy. It's a lot to take in, you know. Um, on a personal stamp, from a personal standpoint, it's uh, when you're around devastation every day, it gets a little difficult, you know. And I just now moved back into my home uh, recently, very recently. Um, still have a couple of things left to repair, but, you know, material things are easy to fix. The mental and emotional toll that all these storms and COVID have had on people in general. Uh, it's been pretty significant.
0: Hurricanes have passed through here in, in the past and during your time here, like Rita and, uh, but you know, it's on top of a pandemic. And then also would this go around not only one hurricane hit, but two hit within a, a, month. Sh- a month. Yeah.
2: And they were Delta. direct hits. Yeah,
0: direct hits um, over like the eye went over directly, like Charles. Right? I mean,
2: went straight over my house. Yeah, for sure. And, and the university, and you know, again, that mental and emotional toll that it takes on people is pretty significant. You know, uh, the university. You know, my job as department chair for uh, music and theater. You know, I'm an advocate for students. I'm an advocate for faculty, and. I try to be everyone's big brother. Our, for some of the students that are a little bit younger, maybe like their uncle. Yeah, and crazy uh, uncle, yeah. Yeah, the crazy uncle Lonnie. Um, I try to, you know, I think of my role in, in that way. <clears throat> like we're all family. And it's difficult whenever you see your family struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and struggling academically is one thing. Are you know you're struggling with with performing a piece of music? That's one thing. But when you see people's lives, I don't know. Let's let's not say ruined, but you know they're definitely stressed out, and that 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 takes a toll on the uncle, on yeah. the big brother, uh, because you know you have so many little brothers and nephews and nieces and little sisters and all this stuff. Um. So one of the things that was interesting over these this this past semester was just the mental and emotional health of students and the faculty you know the faculty were very stressed also um, the students they were spread out everywhere you know there is no campus housing at the moment i mean i take that back there is campus housing now but there were months where there was no campus housing so having any type of routine where you would go to a class Even if it was once a week, you know, if you were on an AB schedule or whatever the university schedule was, that wasn't possible. And I think that took a a toll on a lot of people, you know, especially the percussion students. You know, percussionists are definitely, in my opinion, family oriented. I agree. We gravitate towards each other. Uh, We like to share with each other. I think that the interaction, within our community of percussionists is very important to everyone's well-being, you know, again, their physical, mental and emotional health. And when you don't have the, the opportunity to share with each other or see each other or be around your family, that's another toll. So it was interesting that there were a couple of moments this semester when we were able to get students together in the same place and have them just play easy, almost nonsense. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was just, just the, the act of being together really had a dramatic effect on these students, and it, it seemed to heal them. You know, and uh, things like that make me proud of what we do here, mm. and it's also encouraging that, you know, are things are going to work themselves out. Um, we can sit here and think that everything's ruined for the rest of our lives and, you know, everything's so tragic. Or we can be thankful for the things that we do have. And I believe that the students this semester really learned to be thankful for what we do have. Yeah. And I think everyone that you've interviewed on this podcast has their their community, right, that they're a part of. It's a common theme. Right. And for me, I think this place is special. I, I think every place is special and every, people are going to hold that, their space, uh, they're going to hold it close to their heart. And I definitely think the people here uh, presently really care. And what's also very refreshing is having you come back. And last night we had a little hang with a couple former students, mm-hmm. you know. And having all you guys back around and having the ability to talk about, hey, this is kind of what I'm going through. Yeah. This is what we're experiencing here in Lake Charles. This is what I'm experiencing. Having moved back from Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. back to Texas, and, you know, our life happenings and getting to reconnect. It's like nothing ever skipped a beat.
0: Feels like home. I thought that the entire time we were... You know, just you, any anytime. And I'm thankful that we have devices in which we could, uh, I'm thankful we have invite devices that, in which we could, you know, always communicate, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. But there's nothing like the camaraderie of being in person.
2: Uh, That's irreplaceable. And, you know, I think education in general is really missing a lot mm-hmm. uh, due to the, the pandemic. Face to face, there's nothing that can replace that. Zoom is great, not really. Mm. Zoom is Zoom. It's a, you know, it's means, a necessity yeah. right now. Uh, but nothing will ever replace the face to face value that you can receive uh, in a an applied lesson, participating in an ensemble, or just to be quite honest, just having a general conversation. I mean, it's different the
0: the wavelength that we're all on just based on the niche thing that we all do and love and have a passion for um makes things uh makes it feel like home even more in a sense of like i can always th- these are my lifelong friends we were talking about that a little bit before we recorded but you experienced that at unlv i experienced that at mcneese and you know not, not saying that it wasn't like that at UNLV for me, it was just, you know, it's a, it was a kind of a shorter stop for me. I mean, it's five years versus two, um, and we spent a lot of time together as a studio here, but not only because we had to, but because we wanted to. There, we could have very easily done the thing of what you often advise us against, which was just do our degree requirements and, and bail kind of thing. But there was a sense of like taking pride in doing everything and becoming versatile and also wanting to spend time with the people that we went to school with
1: which i don't think happens everywhere i,
2: I can see how this place is unique mm-hmm. uh, our places like this are unique compared not every place you're you're totally correct mm-hmm. not every place builds that camaraderie you know they're like get your degree okay we'll see you later Um, for me this whole family concept really started you know the way I was raised obviously Mm. but beyond that you know in high school the band was everything to everyone in it you know Uh, you didn't have the options to play football and be in the band Mm. or be a cheerleader and be in the band you were in the band or you were in something else uh-huh. This is in
0: Lafayette, right? Yes, sir. And
2: I went to Como High School.
0: <laughs> where some notables have also gone as well. But, we'll, you know, it, you, you went to a... You, I, I always kind of spread this kind of information, but it seemed like Louisiana and Mississippi had this community of, of drummers that took it very seriously and wanted to be good at it.
2: Oh, yeah. There's definitely some lineage. Uh wow to everyone's education, right? Right. And mine can all be traced back to Marty Hurley. Uh, you know, Marty was, I mean, he was everything around here for a very long time. And his, his influence is still very present. Very much up so. To this day, you know, rest in peace, Marty. But, you know, my, uh, all of my lesson teachers and drumline Coaches and whatnot uh, from elementary school, I mean, from middle school through high school, were all direct descendants of Marty. You know, um, I had Bob Branch. He was a tenor drummer at Phantom Regiment. Uh, he was roommates with John Wooten. Mm-hmm. John Wooten went to the same high school I went to, <laughs> um, Troy Bro went to the same high school I went to. And Troy teaches at UL Lafayette now. John Wooten is Dr. Throwdown.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he <laughs> teaches at Southern Miss. And, you know, and there were several others in our, our local community uh, that were really important to me. Um, Ray Théo uh, was probably my biggest mentor uh, when I was in high school.
0: Uh, you, haven't, you haven't mentioned that name. Before.
2: Um, you've actually met Ray. On multiple occasions Have I? You probably just didn't realize it I didn't yet. realize No Um Ray Was a tenor drummer At Phantom Regiment From 1987 Through 1989 Um He Received his undergraduate degree At USL University of Southwestern Louisiana Now U- University of Louisiana Lafayette mm. Uh Then he went To Southern Miss <laughs> And Studied with John and finished his master's degree and then moved back to Lafayette and taught in the Lafayette pair schools for about 30 years. Wow. And taught man, so many unbelievable players, you yeah. know, and he was very patient and took a personal interest in each one of us. You know, and It's kind of that beginning. He, he took, he would take you under his wing and he'd nurture you. And I, I always appreciated that because he gave me opportunity. Yeah. Um, That's one thing that I really stress. When people get here, I tell them this... My philosophy is we we give you opportunities. Now, you can take advantage of those opportunities or not, but we're always going to provide you with an opportunity.
0: You you get the first shot, which you gave me and several several other people the first shot. And a lot of people don't take it and run with it and a lot of people do as well though.
2: Yeah. You know? you know, uh, it's funny, I was watching a documentary on the former coach of the Arsenal Football Club yeah. in London. That's my team. Uh, and Mr. Winger, like, it was crazy. It, it was so much, his philosophy about coaching soccer was very much like my mm. philosophy to teaching percussion and it's like, you put the person in a position, and you just, you let them be. Uh, that's me giving you that opportunity, mm-hmm. or a student that opportunity. Hey, we're going to put you in this position, and you will figure it out, because you're smart. If you weren't smart, you wouldn't be here. Um, if you really want to do this, you're going to do it. If you really don't want to, you're not, and then you're going to make a choice to Maybe change your major or do something else. And that's completely fine because at the end of the day, my role as a, a professor is to profess my, my love for the subject,
3: mm-hmm.
2: profess my knowledge of the subject, but I can't make you do anything. I can put you in a position to be successful, but ultimately you have to. You're, you're the person who's going to have to jump in. And you're going to have to swim and you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to learn how to float and you're going to learn how to be this world class swimmer, Mm. you know, uh,
0: keeping your head above water.
2: Well, (laughs) I mean, for a long time you have to, you do have to keep your head above water, but you, you put these people in a position to be successful are given the opportunity and they will take it. Sometimes it takes you a little bit longer than others. But ultimately, you get it or you don't. I mean, getting it is a
0: big thing that uh, it's hard to label and it's hard to pinpoint what getting it is, but...
2: Yeah, it's, it's a big word, right? Yeah, it,
0: <laughs> it is like uh, in 72 font and then getting is yeah. know, 16 point. Like, it's... You know, I remember the day... I don't remember the exact day it clicked for me, but I remember the, the year it clicked for me where I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I think it was like my third year.
2: It had to have been. Let's talk about. Do you mind talking about that? Let's I talk mean, about it. you talk to people about their experiences. Yeah, huh? but it's probably really important for people to understand your experiences, where you come from. Yeah,
0: I've and never been asked. So yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of turning the tables. What <laughs> podcast you. this is, man? It's
2: still your podcast. <laughs> but you know, when we talk about, hey, where are we going to be? Our, what do we expect as, as a student? In, when are we going to get it? Mm. And I remember you being very frustrated for a while. How many years do you think you were frustrated? Say two, two and a half. With your progress, right? Yeah. Like you just, you were trying, but you just didn't feel like you were getting it.
0: I felt like I was running into a brick wall every day.
2: Yeah. And it was discouraging, right? It was. <clears throat> but we just kept on putting you in the position. Yep. To, hey, nobody got down on you. Mm. I mean, except um, for myself, but yeah. And I mean, I remember Brian Mason telling me, "If you don't, if you don't stop being your worst critic, you're gonna you're gonna die young." <laughs> he told you that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to be my own worst critic. Yeah. And me too. Yeah. I mean, well, I think we can see ourselves in everyone. We we can find our our own unique qualities um but with you what i i remember distinctly how you would beat yourself up and be like josh man you can't do that buddy it's gonna it's gonna come one day it's you're gonna it's just gonna be like the light bulb moment and you know all this is gonna make sense and it's all gonna pay off and you said you think that happened in two and a half years Mm -hmm. three years man i'm thinking it would happen in the third three and a half to four years really that's when your light bulb went off and basically it was like hands off after that yeah and then all of a sudden josh is just turned into this monster it's like wait everything that you had been working on culminated at the same time somehow and just it was like like the rocket just ignited and lift off
0: yeah it was like the my old truck that i used to drive in the star (laughs) went out like six times and I remember when I finally found out what the real problem was—the alternator—how you know, replace that. And I was like, finally. But it, it's a, not maybe not the best analogy, but um, uh, I remember I remember just feeling uh, freer and having more fun.
2: Oh yeah, your your personality changed. Yeah. And you stopped beating yourself up so much, and you just had a great time playing, and you got hungry, mm. <laughs> hungry for more. And you just kept on eating. It, it was like, you know, I have, I have two young sons. Um, one is five, about to be six, and the other is ten. And you just, man, they start eating. Mm. I was like, Jesus, man. One messier geez.
0: than the other. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: one's definitely messier than the other. And <laughs> let me tell you, it's not the youngest one, it's the messy one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, God. Anyway, you know, you get, you get these students that just get hungry, and then they start eating and you just can't feed them enough. And then, you know, it's beautiful now. You guys have YouTube. Uh, you have unlimited resources yeah. via the internet, which, you know, whenever I was in my undergraduate de- degree program, there still wasn't Google. Mm. You know, that stuff didn't exist. Yeah. But you could search things. You could find things, but there wasn't. U- YouTube didn't exist. Yeah. But we, had, we did have greater access as technology increased but right now with students man if you can just motivate them and try to help them find that hunger and once they find it there's unlimited resources and then they can just go man I, and that's what y'all did for I, you I, specifically I, I was
0: i remember getting one day just being like i, I want to play it all like i, I was like I, I was kind of annoying myself about it cuz I, I i would wake up i think about drums how I could get better that day, and I go to bed thinking about drums. Like it was, uh, it was one of those things of, um, it was just obsession. It still is, to be honest with you, but maybe I'll dial back a little bit. But um, yeah. But, we all go through
2: phases. Yeah, I mean, with how much, how much desire we have to play mm-hmm. and perform, and, you know, life balances itself out. But when you get that hunger that first time, Man, man, it's awesome.
0: We were we were pushed. We pushed each other. I mean, we all we didn't necessarily have a drum set curriculum, but we all like studied on our own. We all gave each other materials. We all you know, not even just that with uh, hand drums, with steel pan, with uh, everything. And we were we were trying to be that hunger. That hunger kind of spread. It was
2: like a disease. Oh yeah. Well, a good kind of disease. You want to. Friendly competition is a beautiful thing, isn't yeah. it? And, you know, I think successful percussion programs or successful music programs promote that. Mm-hmm. Healthy competition. There's a difference. Not cutthroat. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, I remember when I was an undergraduate student, John Hadfield, one of your former podcast uh, guests. Uh, two episodes ago, you listened to that right yeah. now? <laughs> John and I, took every single class together in undergrad.
0: Even did a recital together, right?
2: Uh, We shared a joint junior recital. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still remember things about that. (laughs) I went first, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that competition was so healthy. I mean, John helped me with all kinds of rhythmic interp and helping me with my hands um, in rudimental chops, and I taught him a bunch of things that I had learned in drum about mallets, mm. and we'd have scale contests: who could burn scales the fastest and in septuplets, and would like just go through the, all everything chromatically as fast as we could. And yeah. literally, uh, I think John Hadfield made had the most natural hands out of any person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's like one of those people that he just looks at something and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna play that," yep. and he picks it up and then he just kills it. And you're just like, "Oh man!" It, it's one of he's one of those guys that makes you sick. I mean, I yeah. love John like a brother, but he makes me sick, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you're gonna grab this frame drum and then, oh wait! And instead of playing a drum set, I'm just gonna blaze this, this, this frame drum, yep. and I'll do all this other stuff. With my feet. I'm totally independent. Hybrid
0: drum sets and electronics. Like,
2: like, John. (laughs) So, love to John Hadfield and his beautiful family. Mm. But, you know, you find those people in your life where you can have that healthy competition. And not once was John ever like, dude, you suck. Mm -hmm. Why can't you do this? And I was never like that towards him. We just pushed each other and helped each other. And actually... It's kind of crazy, because John, when we graduated with our undergraduate degrees, John won an award for the Outstanding Performer in the College of Fine Arts.
1: The entire college?
2: Yes. Hmm. And I won the Scholar Award mm-hmm. for the entire college. <laughs> so, and, and we're sitting Shack here. Jack
0: and Kobe over here. Yeah,
2: I mean, dude, this is like, Wow. You know, we pushed each other to the max,
0: mm. um,
2: in every way. And it was just beautiful, man. I feel,
0: and, I feel like that was, um, my class, and then the class, you know, that was after us. Like we all were just this one clump of, like, just nerds. Like, I'm, yeah, man. Lack of a better like, for lack of a better term, I just think we were all just works about learning and playing and pra- and like learning how to practice efficiently. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, that light bulb went off for me later on. But I feel like you know, sometimes, you, well, I used to get discouraged at how long it took me. But then I realized that that was just preparing me for, you know, the 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 last two and a half years, and then or a year and a half to then into grad school, which what it felt like. It felt like, like I, I can do this, as opposed to when I got to my niece, I was like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, kind of thing. It was a really refreshing start to a new chapter.
2: Right. You know, we go back to, like, when you started, and at least my philosophy on what we should offer students in higher education. I gave you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otherwise, and,
0: I was going to community college.
2: Well, and then... <laughs> I mean, if you think back on it, where you started, I mean, if you audition at several places, you're probably not getting in.
3: Mm.
2: But again, this is an—I believe in the opportunity and giving people time to be successful. I mean, there are definitely students. You know, there are definitely students that aren't going to make it. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but your first week or the first group lesson. Like, look around, at least 50% of you guys are not going to be here.
0: And it turned out to be 75%.
2: Yeah, it turned out to be 70 I mean, sometimes 100% make it. Mm-hmm. But when you had to sit down in that room and look at everybody around you and say, Am I part of that 50%? I'm well,
0: in mean 75% didn't make it. I know. Yeah.
2: So, sometimes 75% make it. Sometimes yeah. 75% don't <laughs> make it. Sometimes 100% make it. I've never had 100% not make it. Mm, that's
0: good. No. <laughs> at least one person out of the class survives. Yes.
2: yes. Um but it wouldn't surprise me if a hundred percent don't make it. I mean, it's not for everyone. But when you sit down and you have to look around this room and hey, am I part of the fifty percent that's gonna make it? Or I'm a part or am I a part of the fifty percent that's not going to make it? I think at that moment in time, if I could see seeing everybody's uh thought process man. i would it, it could it could save everybody a lot of time because if you go like i'm in the i'm in the 50 that's gonna make it or i'm not sure if, if you're not sure man you got you have a lot of work to do
0: man i uh, remember that was the hardest <clears throat> i'd ever worked in my life and i you know i still felt like i wasn't getting anywhere and i think you know that's what frustrated me at the, at the first part of it and, you know i I failed a math class my freshman year or my first semester and my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then, um, I don't know. I stuck with it. I don't know what made me go back, but I did.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, when students start out and being a department chair now, I see a lot more students than just the percussionists. Uh, the percussionists are definitely unique. Yeah. We have our own thing. Okay. But Students in general, and they start out, man, they have no idea what's going on. They know, they know a couple things. That I have to pass math, English, science. Music, oh man, I'll get an A in that. Because mm-hmm. that's the way it, it was in high school. Well, my friends, it's not high school anymore. Not quite. It, and your major is music, so you really need to focus on those classes as opposed to just focusing on the big three English math and science yeah. um I mean that's hard for parents to understand that's for sure yeah but at the end of the day you gotta pay these dividends especially I mean you start out in music theory some people start college at least and at a place like McNeese McNeese is a regional university uh, we offer undergraduate degrees we do not offer master's degrees in music um you know, so it's undergrad mm-hmm. land, which is awesome because you definitely have a lot of room for opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, you're, the top ensembles aren't crowded with graduate students and everybody gets ample opportunity to participate in a wide variety of performance opportunities, academic opportunities, research opportunities. But it's hard yep. to get adjusted to a curriculum that's based in in music yeah. as opposed to those big three, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And you gotta hope that you have four fourth or fifth year people that are helping you just a little bit at the beginning, you know. Oh, oh um, yeah. I mean I had I had thank God I had Mike Royer and <laughs> and like you know, all all the other guys that were you know at that point Mike was kind of when I saw Mike's recital, um, that motivated me. I don't remember the exact day. I know it was in the, my first semester. But I saw Mike's recital, and I was like, all right, like this guy, you know, this guy's the man. He still is. I love Mike. And uh, he ended up, we ended up being great friends, but um, I was a little intimidated by him at first. He doesn't know that. And, well, he well, probably knows that now. But
2: Well, he, he knows it now because yeah. you just said it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whatever he doesn't care um the uh you know he he ends up setting kind of a like a blueprint like and kind of setting uh, an example
2: yeah you you he gave you a model yeah so you set a goal to achieve that, and then you went after it you know and look, Michael had issues also mm. I mean. During recital preparation, you can you should ask him about his recital preparation for his senior recital. Oh,
0: ask him on this podcast.
2: Yeah, <laughs> ask him specifically about garage drummer. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, you say so you see somebody as like, man, that's the most successful it's going to be, and, and I remember the struggle that he went through mm. in that preparation, and actually, your recital preparation was awesome. Comparatively, you know, mm. to other compared to others,
0: Oh, was so I a mean, f- fear driven by fear of failure. So, <laughs> no, you
2: were driven by your passion to achieve mm. your model,
0: yeah.
2: And in doing so, you probably didn't even realize that you, you surpassed it.
0: Oh, I remember, yeah,
2: but I, it takes you a minute to realize that, right?
0: I it took me subconsciously, I was thinking about those early years, of, yeah, like watching watching the guys that i looked up to and being like i don't i don't want to let anybody down you know especially myself but at the same time i the passion was at a point where i was like i was loving the preparation i was loving the time spent i was there up there during the summer every day you know how i got into the building we don't need to discuss that but you know
2: it's i'm sure there was a coat hanger in the grass (laughs) Yeah, that's not going to work at McNeese anymore, by yeah. the way. Uh, the doors got blown off the places, and yeah. they've been replaced with far superior uh, hardware yeah, there than, you go. than the old doors. so It's
0: fate. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I was driven by being an 18-year-old kid, watching Mike or, you know, watching anybody else achieve uh, and be close to the finish line. Uh, but, you know, I also driven by, like, just... Uh, a, a passion that I, I like the word craft a lot like it, it really is just like molding something um, and finding your way uh, it was really I felt like I had like a, a really strong purpose by that time you know
2: yes I mean I agree mm-hmm. and you know I think we all go through phases too because mm-hmm. after the fact we have different <laughs> yeah yeah you know life happens Mm -hmm. and then you're not a student anymore then real real life starts Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're going to run into the same issues that you that happened when you started just Mm -hmm. in in a slightly different context and you know if you if you're able to go back and draw from your past experiences and try to make some correlations you will achieve way fast at a way faster rate than you ever did before. It was just, but high. it's hard to s- separate yourself, yeah. from the current and say, "Wait, hold on a second." Oh, this really this. isn't so bad. Yeah,
0: I've kind of done this
2: before. I've already, I've already done it before. Yeah. yeah, I've overcome something that was far greater than this. Yes, but in the moment, everything is the most tragic or the most important thing you've ever done. Yeah. So I mean, it just takes time, but time to sort it out. I think it's uh, it. just a
0: just to jump back a little bit. I think it's funny how your your lineage is tied to all these phantom regiment people, but then you wind up going to Cavaliers on the other side of the state. <laughs> so,
2: well, actually, you know, I mean, I ended up teaching that phantom regiment, yeah. for a number of years. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, there, so there was a large contingency of Cavalier people also. Mm-hmm. And um when I was in high school, Rel Lafargue was I uh, mean, he was two years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Damon Small was two years ahead of me. They were Damon was like McDonald's all American, like Mr Super Stud. Yeah. And Rel, you know, was he was I and e champion as a timpanist for multiple years, actually scored a perfect one hundred. Jeez! He would play a uh, Prelude and Fugue, Bach, but not just the beginning. There's ding, 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 pedaled on timpani Shred. with all the interbeats. Yeah, uh, crazy talented. Uh, he's now uh, C O O of Reservoir Media, mm-hmm. so it's a huge um, recording rights firm in New York City. Nice. But those guys, both marched Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. So we, in, out of six people in the snare line, in my high school drum line, three of us marched Cavaliers. In the front ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> not, not playing snare drum. Playing. In the front ensemble. Yeah,
0: playing.
2: Timpani or Vibes and Marimba, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so there was a connection there. There were several people in college um, with me at the time. Clifford Loop, um, Byron Tubes. There were, there were a bunch of people in college at, the, at USL at the time that were Cavaliers. And uh, I have a, another great friend, uh, Holly, Holly Joe Gary, uh, his brother Todd marched Cavaliers, you know. This is all new to me. Marty, I mean, uh, Holly Joe March regiment and his brother marched Cavaliers, you know, and then. <laughs> a house divided. And then Todd, Todd Gary marched with Eric Johnson. Who wants innovative percussion?
0: Shout out to Innovator.
2: Well, and that's how I, that's the first time I met Eric Johnson was at Pasic in nineteen ninety two and he was like, Hey, you know a guy named uh, Todd Gary? And I was like, Yeah. Cause he saw my name batch and it had USL, we were doing the at that time they had the big college indoor percussion contest mm-hmm. for marching percussion and that was like huge. That was the biggest thing you could win in a university setting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, we were all, USL was always really good. Uh, won a few championships and then came in second a lot of times. Uh, and Todd was in the snare line,
3: mm.
2: so I went and found Todd. But that's how I met Eric. And then t- two years later, he ends up teaching at Cavaliers. It's just kind of weird how yeah. it's just all related. But all the there, so there were a lot of Cavaliers in the area, and um, I was fortunate when I started marching drum corps, I went to a smaller drum corps, uh, Northern Aurora, Drumming Bugle Corps, uh, from Michigan's, from Saginaw, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, the caption head was a student at USL, uh, <laughs> Joe Kersey. And he got me up there and I ended up going up there and there were like four of us from Louisiana, John Crochet, Danny Welchel, and Keith Jodal. Um John... Crochet and Danny Welch will, are like John Hatfield. Freaks. Yeah, like Anything they pick up, done. <laughs> like, hey man, I think I'm going to do some tambourine. And they go to the library, and they come back, and they could play tambourine. I'm like, <laughs>
0: Unreal. You, didn't even, you
2: didn't even go to the practice room, man. You just went and read.
0: Yeah.
2: And they go and get progressive arts notes and stuff like that. But anyway, all these guys being around, when uh, we March drum corps together, one year, and then in 1992 for finals, John and I sat in the second row at Camp Randall Stadium, right behind the recording engineer for finals. And we, we looked at each other like, okay, we're not coming back to Northern Aurora next year. Mm-hmm. We're going to march somewhere. We're going to figure out what it is that we're going to do, and we're going to figure it out tonight. So we went we'll watch some warm then And we watched all the shows, and John was like, man, I'm marching cadets. I was like, okay,
0: I remember him mentioning this.
2: And I said, I'm marching Cavaliers. And by God, the next it year, happened. 1993, we made it happen. And John... How old were you? Uh, at that time, I was 17. 17. John was probably 19. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we just like, this is what we're doing. No questions. Mm-hmm. And John was unbelievable. I, you, you'd never hear John make a mistake. Yeah like he was I think that's still perfect. present today <laughs> you're just like no I'm talking about John Crochet oh sorry different John yeah. but just amazing Um, uh, and actually John marched with a, a friend that I met in Vegas Tony Dale yep they were in the front ensemble together last year yeah. at <laughs> cadets and you know when Tony was getting his master's degree at UNLV he was like man that guy never ever made a mistake <laughs> Like, all summer, he was, like, perfect. Never, ever, no one ever criticized anything he ever did. I was, like, was like, man, that's crazy. He's like, yeah, that's, that was John. Just Mr. Freak practice guy. Yeah.
0: Let's take a quick second to pause the episode to talk about how you can support the podcast even further. Thank you for listening for one thing, but another thing is how you can support is a monthly subscription to the podcast it's just 99 cents a month it goes directly to me and i can use that money to buy more equipment video equipment recording equipment and it goes directly back into the podcast so if you could click that support link in the description below i would greatly appreciate it back to the episode
2: but anyway you know, i was it was cool that i was surrounded
1: by people that had a common interest in drone core uh, where I grew up, you know, um, being a part
2: of the Phantom Regiment family early on was really important. Like, uh, we housed people because mm-hmm. they used to have drunk camps in Louisiana. Oof. So, my parents actually housed people uh, for camps. And one of those people was Al Dunn, and he was like 13,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was 13. But he was marching in the front ensemble at Phantom Regiment. Come to find out, man, we aged out at the same time. He was in Phantom Regiment. I was in Cavaliers. Man, we would talk all the time. Mm. He's like, do you remember that time he's, you like crashed at our place? He's like, yeah, dude. I was like, he's, and I mean, it, it was kind of weird. that yeah. the Friendships just got started. Yeah. Kind of out of nowhere.
1: But um, it was, it was awesome.
2: Growing up in those days, you yeah, know?
0: it sounded. It just sounds like a. It just sounds like a great time. It, it sounds like the golden days of.
2: Uh, I I mean I think drum corps is a great activity. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I that's where I get a lot of my family. Ideals Philosophy. in percussion. Yep. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to march Cavaliers from 1993 to 1995, and the 1994. Uh, front ensemble in the 1995 ensemble were, there was only one personnel change between the mm. two the, uh, the timpanist uh, was changed in 1995 that was it uh, we were very fortunate that 7 out of 8 people marched together 2 years in a row and, and almost all of them have
0: something to do with oh, yeah. percussion to this day
2: I mean, I think it was very unique um, I was fortunate to be in, in an ensemble with um, Brian Zader um, Brian and I did not always see eye to eye When we were marching uh, Fortunately I grew up And You know I think he grew up too And Now we have a great friendship Yeah You know uh, Lifelong friends mm-hmm. And uh, Marched with Dwayne Rice The composer uh, Actually Dwayne texted me yesterday Hey dude it's time to catch up And uh, do a FaceTime call <clears throat> uh, I talk to Brian regularly now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an administrator. <laughs> yeah. He, he's the department uh, head of music at uh, Texas A&M Commerce. Yep. Um, and obviously, highly successful former president of PAS and all this good stuff. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, co- composer, has written several uh, standard Roma pieces. Wrote you an awesome piece. Yeah. You know, in States. Yep. And, um, Josh Mm DeCaney he's he teaches uh, some world percussion and drum set at Syracuse University Uh, Gig Machine you know just an awesome player Mm -hmm. Uh, Uichi Kajiyama he was the percussion coordinator um, uh, from the group in Japan I cannot remember the name Uh, Yamato Mm -hmm. Uh, and just like
0: Or just like an all-star team.
2: Just crazy. Gary Rudolph teaches at Ben Davis High School. Uh, Andy Salmon played timpani. He teaches in Texas. And Andy Clayton. (laughs) So the one guy that was not uh, a musician. Mm -hmm. So the guy is a computer engineer, like an engineer in Silicon Valley. And he, he used to, he worked for a lot of startups
1: and he was done with one of these startups and he's kind
2: of feeling bored or just not motivated to work in that field anymore. So I was like, why don't you do something different? He's like, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to play pan. She's like, we'll do it. So he didn't get another job. He went to Trinidad <laughs> Played with Trinidad All-Stars. Won Panorama, too. Oh, my God. So he wins DCI. Are you kidding me right and, now? And then he wins Panorama. But this is also the guy that transcribed a Gary Burton vibe solo on the tour bus for Cavaliers with a pen and paper and a cassette tape. Wrote it down without using a keyboard. Note for note. Gave it to Josh DeCaney. The Next morning, we wake up and we hear this crazy vibe piece going on. It's Andy playing it, he had memorized it while he wrote it down. I'm like, so you know, that's kind of what we're working with, you
0: know. Yeah, I mean,
2: like,
0: dude, y'all are just stacked to put it it was crazy, it was
2: crazy. Uh, and lifelong friends, yeah. I mean, another camaraderie, lifelong friends, family, brothers. I mean, it's never ever going to be, I I don't know that I'm going to play with, with people that I'll be that close to for the rest of my life. You know, Um, grad school was awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, same, same, same connections. Yeah. Um, So, and those, those couple things definitely helped shape my philosophy on what, what the percussion studio, uh, wherever I ended up was going to be in that family atmosphere. You
0: know. there's a different level of uh, commitment on our end when you feel like you want to contribute to what is going on um, if that makes sense you want to contribute you want to make sure that you make a positive mark mm-hmm. within the network and you know we've built this alumni network since I started and graduated. We have several more you know, we have more alumni now than we than we used to obviously, but you know, it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And like we, a lot of us talk, I mean, I, I, James Lorman's one of my best friends and we did even go to school with each other. Right. Know? Same with Math, Matthew McMillan. Like we, we, uh, we barely, we didn't even overlap at all, but it's the fact that we share this common ground, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's important to remain accessible. Mm hmm.
1: To your current students,
2: your former students, you know, your former classmates, you know, just stay accessible to people and create, create a larger network for your students I and mean, that's something that I always thought was important um, hints like I would bring some people might say oh you shouldn't bring in the same guest artist over and over but I think because I would bring in I had three uh, individuals that I brought in pretty regularly. Um, I'd bring in Mike Vercelli from West Virginia University. I'd bring in Eric Hines. Um, he's a freelance musician in Chicago. has a doctorate from the University of Arizona, and uh, Josh Decaney. Yeah, would bring all those people in on a regular basis. And Josh came play with you and Cavaliers, like just to
0: tie it all back together. And
2: <laughs> and then Eric Hines. That's a crazy that was circumstance like coincidence yeah like it's a small percussion world and then uh, you know I ended up meeting Mike Procelli because we were playing a gig at West Virginia uh, in this pre-Hispanic music group that I was in uh, Tunkle with, I know, but, with Tom Neville and uh, David Lopez when you know we were all graduate students at UNLV together yeah, yeah. and you know just connected and then David worked with Worked with Tom at University of Texas Brownsville. Well, anyway, we ended up going and playing at West Virginia University because the former chair of the music department at UNLV was the dean of music at West Virginia, too. and he brought us in. And I meet Mike Riccioli. I'm like, dude, I want some African drums, and you're you rock at this stuff. Yeah. Well, he also went to University of Arizona, studied with Cook. Cook, yeah. And then, you know, that's you know, part of my network with, from with Dean, Brunemeyer, Dean is, and then, yes. yes. So it all, like it all connected. And again, it's like, you know, we, we work so hard to create these networks, but it's also important to maintain them and, and stay regular with them, you know? And honestly, right now, like I'm feeling terrible because Mike Riccioli hasn't been here in a minute. Eric he hasn't Hines, been there since I, I've been there. Huh? Right. Mm-hmm. Eric Hines hasn't been here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Josh McKinney hasn't been here in a minute. It's time for those guys to come back and connect with this current group of students, yep. and, and you know that helps shore all of you guys up and immediate immediate connection to all three of those guest
0: stars. Like from our standpoint, we oh. had we had Vercelli and Eric out twice each. We had Decaney out once early on in my career there, and immediate like we were drawn in. And same with John Hatfield too when, yeah. when he came in. <laughs> With Shane Shanahan, which are just two freaks, okay? Can I just point that out? Um, er, they're all freaks, but the like it's immediate connection on a, on a sense of being inspired and being informed in a great and efficient way, I would say.
2: Yeah. I mean, great people. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, great people. And good hangs. And great musicians. Yeah. That, that's second to me. I mean, it's m- the most important thing is to expose students to great people
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the great people are going to inspire others regardless of what the activity is you Right? Know, if it's you know you want to be in a leadership position and you're in this you know management institute you know if you're surrounded by great people you're going to be successful um,
1: 100% so
2: I just think that I'm, I'm fortunate that I've been surrounded by great people
0: yeah.
3: when I was yeah. growing
2: up. And then it was being surrounded by great human beings that are also students, you know. Uh,
0: I mean, seeing you, seeing you be inspired by all, all the people that you brought in, but then, you know, ultimately you yourself inspiring me nearly daily. Um, in a sense, you know, even when you were, when you were finishing your doctorate in 2015, that was, I know that was a tough time, but, uh, a little bit, but you got it done. And like, we were all as a studio, just so co- We were collectively just immensely proud of you. It was kind of like the tables turned a little bit, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, I'll
2: be honest with you. I didn't know that I could finish it that semester, but, but you did it. Yeah. Somehow it all worked out, you know, it was a lot of late nights.
0: Little did I know three years later, your teacher would become my teacher. You know, too. those things happen. It was strange,
2: but... Um, yeah, Grun- Grunemeyer, he's, uh, he's intense. <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better But I term. love him, man. That's like my big brother. You want to talk about like, crazy uncle for me. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah he, he's crazy uncle for me, but he's a people guy. know. I've had him on. So. Uh, yeah.
2: I actually, I listened to that whole podcast. Did you? I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, I was sitting in the room with him. Yeah, uh, I could have been sitting in the room with you guys, just like, oh, yeah. wow, okay. Cheryl was
0: just sitting there, she's just like, like just drawn in, man. It was.
2: Yeah, he's he's intense and he's real.
0: Yeah, he's real. Uh, he
2: cares. He does care, and you know. So did you though? And yeah, you still well, do. I I've kind of learned yeah. a lot of that from Dean and, you know, Brian Mason was definitely a game changer for me, hundred uh, percent. But Dean and Dean and Brian. They gave me that. They created and gave me that opportunity uh, to be successful. Because mm-hmm. there was a time when I didn't want to be in music at all. Uh, that was when I. Well, let's kind of go back a little bit. Yeah. When I was in the eighth grade, I was inspired by Ray Theo and um, Bob Branch, and my first lesson teacher. His name was Robbie Tubes, and he was the. He was the president of ATSSB in Texas, the Small Band Association. Oh, yeah. He was a director and, like, just a phenomenal guy. I mean, this guy got his music degree later in life, and he would play country gigs every Friday night. And, man, I remember going to lessons at, like, 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings, and Miss Khaki, his wife, would be cooking him bacon, eggs, and toast. I mean, he was, like, just... Man, he was just done mm-hmm. from playing this late country gig and red dark country gigs. Oh dude, yeah. <laughs> but so Mr. Toops, you know, he definitely he definitely helped out with the inspiration. But like all these people um, helped create opportunity for me. But when I was in eighth grade because of those early on, I wanted to I was like, Man, I want to teach college. I wanna I wanna really? teach music. Yeah. And then you know I lost my way when I when I was in college. I was, I will tell you honestly that my time at, at my first stop <laughs> during my academic career, I was terrible. I was a terrible student. Um, I was just in a bad place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I was in a situation where I wasn't a good student. I was with a brand new teacher that didn't understand me and I didn't understand him and I think everyone's grown since then you know but I was going to quit music and I was going to go to culinary school and I was actually not going to march my age out year of drum corps but because everybody was going to come back I was like well I'll go back this is 95 yes so in 95 I commit to doing Cavaliers great but, decision but I was also like this is it when I get back from drum corps, that's no more music, and I am going to go to culinary school. And I have a great friend Pat Mold, um, who's now the CEO of KRVS Public Radio in the NPR station in Lafayette. Oh, cool! <laughs> but he's also the, um, the great chef, mm-hmm. uh, award-winning chef, opened multiple uh, successful restaurants, and just a great person um and I'd asked him if he could help me get into culinary school he's like yeah I went away for the summer and by 1994 Brian Mason and I had become very good friends um I think it went beyond just like the normal teacher student relationship you know he took a personal interest in me uh and I think we just got along well yeah like he was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. Yeah. You know, like that kind of. Our relationship grew that way. We became just outstanding friends, um, and I would talk to Brian about my relationship with my professor at um, USL at the time, and it wasn't great. You know, uh, and I admit, uh, I admit my fault.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, again, I was not a great student. Mm-hmm. I was a terrible student. Um, but Brian took that personal interest in me and he he, he was a graduate student at UNLV he talked to Gronemeyer about me I and mean, basically it'd be a shame if this kid didn't do music he's talented he's just in the wrong place mm-hmm. and we we're on tour there's drums along the Rockies I mean, we were in the Rocky Mountains on 1970 buses <laughs> Like it, <laughs> things weren't working out so well. Yikes. We got delayed. And Grunemeyer drove from Las Vegas to Denver. I didn't know he drove. Oh, he drove, dude. And we were late getting to our clinic site. And it was a Sounds of Summer Yamaha clinic. And Dean was a Yamaha artist.
0: Yeah.
3: Prominent at the time. He, he is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He was huge at the time. Yeah. Um, dude, you can hear those stories on his episode. I'm like, wow, this dude drove. He drove to offer me a scholarship, and hang, you know. But he, yeah, he, like one of his goals there was to offer me a scholarship to go to UNLV. I did not know that, and I was just like shocked. And I mean, it was kind of terrible because I was like, can I have a couple days to think about this? Yeah, <laughs> and I actually told him no, I wouldn't what? take it. Well, I was out on the road. Yeah. I wasn't sure I wanted to do music anymore. I was going to have to get home, get in my car, like, immediately, and drive, drive to Las Vegas. Out,
0: back out west, yeah.
2: Like, hey, mom and dad, uh, love you. Make sure the car's packed so that I can chat. And I called him, and I was like, I, man, I'm, I'm so honored, and I, like, I just thank you, but I just can't do this. You called him after tour? No, I called him three days after he offered Oh. Them. So that was on a Saturday. On a Tuesday, I called. And I, but I called him back on Friday. It's <laughs> like, hey, do you think maybe I could have a couple more weeks to think about some other things? He's like, yeah. And then I was like, I called him, I'm like, how about this? How about I don't come out in the fall? How about I come out in the spring? And he's like, great. And he saved it. And I ended up moving out there in, the, in January 1996. And everything changed, you know? Yeah. It put me back. On that trajectory That I wanted to be on When I was in the 8th grade And You know if Dean and Brian If Brian First of all Wouldn't have came into my life And Dean second in If he wouldn't have came into my life I would never I wouldn't be where I am today mm-hmm. Who knows what I'd be doing I mean I'd probably be a chef Yeah But
0: You know I didn't even have Any other interest In my personal Like Like if I didn't If McNeese didn't happen I don't know what it Would have happened
2: To well, be honest with you Something they, you're a winner well, right I, I'm sure you've heard that before like I know that you know we all have to believe in ourselves yeah and you know grown sorry everybody calls Dean Gronermeyer grown hmm. uh, grown was always just remember you're a winner dude you're a winner and you're gonna get through it and no matter what life throws at you you're going to figure it out yeah and that's where those uh, three words were born huh <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> I don't know, Dean. That was the. I don't know. That's just always been. what a thing I live for by me. now. Yeah.
0: Well, you, I even texted it to you
2: the other day. <laughs> yep. Figure it out, dude. We'll figure it out.
0: And I, you know, it was very strange. Lonnie came out to Vegas during my time at UNLV and played a. Uh, he says he didn't play well, but he did play well. Um, Nature Alley, which is one of Dean's more well known and prominent pieces. Yeah. Um, you wrote your dissertation on it, and you performed it for his thirtieth year anniversary uh, concert surprise concert. Yeah, <laughs> um, he says he legitimately didn't know about it. I think he's too tricky to not say he, you know, actually did know about it. But whatever. Um, the uh, that was very strange. It was very strange for me to have you there, and then. Him there, and like it made it made the the connection the the lineage real for me. Was, oh yeah, I was taken aback.
2: I mean, when you're sitting in the same room with everybody, <laughs> and I'm like, how?
0: What kind of? And it just so happened I fell in a time of where you know it was uh, you were supposed to be there because of the concert and stuff like it it was very strange for me. It was actually like a half body experience. Well, it was great
2: for me. I mean, because yeah. you were there and Marcus, yeah, another. McNeese UNLV alum yeah Uh, you guys were both there and I'm hanging with with Grown and all your people all all my people that I went to school with you know Tom and uh, Rachel and dude it was just like I mean this is cool it's like everything just kind of gets all wrapped up you know and the the circle is complete you know it was great. Internally I was
0: freaking out, but outwardly I was I was having fun. <laughs> but uh it's a great picture of everybody too, you know, in the in the recital hall of all these generations of UNOV grads and um, it was just a great time. So I mean it's uh we had, we had different experiences there. Obviously, I only went there for one degree. You went there for three. Um, for most, yeah. <laughs> for, you know, it, it was, uh, we had two different deans. We had, you know, we had, a, you know, it was very, I don't know, I was very grateful, but it was the same, it was the same concept for me of, like, I wanted to make sure I, I positively contributed to that buildup of 30 years of an alumni network, which mcneese can get there too i believe it and i you know it it just takes time obviously it it takes uh, people sticking with the the profession and everything like that we we have um mostly and so it's uh yeah i mean it was the same it was the same concept it was the same mindset of like how can i make sure that i you know positively make a mark and uh, and, you know just work hard try to get better and i was Springing off that that mindset that we talked about earlier, you know, finally, I climb over this wall, this barrier of mentally, which just opened up this whole other world for me and uh yeah, it was a great time uh, awesome i mean, I've thanked you multiple times for um, hooking it up,
2: but um, you're you know. welcome you you did all the work <laughs> I mean that's how that's that's always the case, man. the student does all the work yeah. again, we're. I think that as a professor, like I have to profess my love for the profession, mm-hmm. profess my knowledge of the profession, and give you opportunity. You know, I helped create opportunity for you, but obviously you're the person who had to jump in yeah. and do the swimming. You know, yep. and you did all the work. You know, we're just there to help you out. And you know, Dean's definitely a great facilitator. Let's oh, yeah. put it that way. Uh, a coach, he says. A coach, he says. Yes. Um, and I definitely I definitely believe in that concept too you know yeah Um, but I think in a lot of ways applied teachers whether it's percussionists tubists trumpet players it doesn't matter Mm. we're mentors and we're life coaches not just music coaches Um, because I mean music is so emotional and so personal I think sometimes it's necessary to be have a different relationship with our students and not any nothing inappropriate you know but it's just like hey we need to be connected on a on a not just on a academic level you know it needs to be somewhat personal so that we have a good understanding of where where you're drawing your experiences from to your art yeah exactly you know and you know helping you make great decisions for, for your career. I mean, all college degrees are very versatile, <clears throat> contrary to common belief, right? Right. You know, just because you have a degree in science does not mean you can be a professional musician. Uh, just because you have a degree, a bachelor's degree in music doesn't mean you can't be a medical doctor. Right. You yeah. know, it, possibilities are endless and you just have to help students find their niche. And, you know, every student's different. So, and getting it applies to
0: all professions. Getting it applies to the business world. You know, oh, we yeah. talked about the 72 point fight. You know, it's a big word, but, um, you know, using awareness like you, you often talked about being proactive. Oh, yeah. I remember that word. I remember that word a lot. I still say it in my word, in, in my mind nearly daily. Yeah. You know, being proactive, being aware, being, uh, Figuring it out,
2: you know those. Yeah, you need to be a doer, be a doer,
0: and not just sit there. I remember my grandfather uh, would always say to me. uh, He he did a lot of remodeling work later on, like post retired life. He did a lot of like handy handyman work, and he would take me to help him. Um, I was like six or seven years old, uh, starting then, and if it was cold outside. Even if it was cold outside, whatever, if I was bored, nervous, tick, whatever, he would not let me have my hands in my pockets because it looked like I wasn't doing anything. Yep. Get your hands out your pockets. And I was like, all right, all right, I got it. Now, I never did it again. I, I got it. I got told that enough that I never did it again. Yeah. And I still i am still mindful of it, too. And, in, in de- and he's not here anymore. And I'm still like, oh, OK, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's oh, yeah, at least make it look like you're doing something.
2: Well, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, appearance is important, but you guys are motivated in different ways. Mm. You know, I'm proud of like all that you guys have accomplished. I think there's, I mean, there's a whole lot more to accomplish out there. You know, we're just, we're just gonna see where you guys end up.
0: There's room for everybody.
2: Oh, plenty. You know,
0: Uh, just the the last thing. um, Could you speak briefly on? those first few years at McNeese when you got there in 2003. um, I remember, I remember some stories. I remember, you know, you explaining the situation that was there. Often uh, I would think about how similar it is to how Dean started UNLV with, as far as equipment goes and (laughs) situation
2: and everything. I have to chuckle at that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Whenever I arrived at McNeese, um, let's just say things weren't ideal um, for my interview, or yeah, my my audition, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I go to perform. I had contacted people on the committee and asked what size marimba they had, and they're like, "Oh, we have a five octave marimba." I was like, "That's great. You know, I need a I need to have." At least a 4.6, you know, but this will work Mm -hmm. great, you know, cool, great. Ask him about the timpani. Oh, yeah, brand new. And I get here, so this should tell you something. At the audition, first of all, there was no five octave rumba, there was no 4.6 octave rumba, there was a low F, 4.4.5. And so I had to transcribe parts of my solo the night before my audition to make the whole solo work. What solo was it? It was a Mark Ford solo. I think it, I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was like, hey, can I stay here and practice? You know, I'm sorry. Can you just leave me in here? And I stayed as late as I needed to. And I go up to the timpani. It was a newer set of, well, it was a brand new set of Adams, Cloyd Duff, Timpani. All the pedals were on the wrong sides because they had them in the German setup instead of an American setup, so the pedals were flipped. Oh, man. And to beat that, all the drums were at least a sixth lower than they should have been. <laughs> if, some, if some were almost like an octave lower. I, it was like unbelievable. I, mean, oh, yeah. I spent more time maintenancing equipment the night before my audition trying to get it into the right place. And I was like, that kind of freaked me out. But then, you know, the student lesson that I had to teach, there was a percussion lesson. The student was not a percussionist at all. They what? were a vocalist that played in the drum line that didn't have any equipment. I had to let them borrow things. And I, I you know, I'm kind of dead set against that. Like, yeah. if you're going to be in this craft you have to own your own stuff if you're going to be a mechanic you need your own tools he,
0: he, uh, he had a, a mallet rack full of stuff and you know, I mean, if you're a freshman you're like I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't bring anything or like whatever you look at my account no <laughs> no you can't
2: no you can go buy your own <laughs> you
0: can go buy your own right now <laughs> uh,
2: well so that's just like foreshadowing what it was going to be like at McNeese and I did win the job miraculously all right and I get to McNeese and there are like two music majors, two percussion majors total. Like that's not incoming, that's everything.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: First week I found three more, so we had five. And there, were, there was not a pair of hi-hats. There was a pair of crash cymbals, <laughs> a suspended cymbal, a ride cymbal, that was it. Symbol wise, I don't know what happened to the school of symbols. I just imagine that <laughs> things disappeared. Yeah. the t- The equipment was terrible. It was, it was just terrible. And I was very fortunate to have great relationships with the people at Zildjian and Al Moffitt, Uh the longtime drum corps rep for Zildjian. Uh, I gave them a call because they were basically like, when you get a college job, call us. You're in. You'll be an endorsey." And I called. was like, hey, I got a college job. I'd like to be a Zildjian artist, and I need help. And Al was very kind and sent all of the Boston Crusaders cymbals and critales and everything. Sent them here so that we had enough to get started. And we sent it all back, obviously, you know. Uh, and it was just remarkable that, you know, they gave us that level of support. Yeah. Otherwise, we, I wouldn't have made it through my first year. I, I, would, I probably would have quit. Yeah. Because there was no hope in getting things at that point in time. But we, we started building things. And, you know, the first recruiting class, James Lorman was one of the, like, <laughs> the first recruit for me. Like, I have to get this guy. And immediately I had started recruiting Matthew McMillan. Yep. Because uh, I met his father who's the director of bands at Sulphur mm-hmm. but he was a gig machine you know he was in the two o'clock band at North Texas trombonas, Air Force uh, Air Force uh, musician he's just a great guy yeah you know and I started recruiting right away but then the equipment thing started to happen and we we're very fortunate to find sorry that was my oldest son <laughs> uh, Lexington um, we we're very fortunate to find a way to get instruments through uh, technology grants at the university and started the, the acquisition process of great percussion equipment. Uh, then we, we were unfortunately stricken by Hurricane Rita mm. in 2005, wow. which basically destroyed everything we owned. Yeah. So we got everything new. Yeah. Everything. hmm and right away, it was like instantly. Uh, I remember a colleague in the state saying, You have one opportunity to get this right, and it'll never ever happen again. Ken Green told me that at, from Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Yeah. And I took what he said to heart, and I busted my butt and um, procured the best instrument collection I could assemble that was practical, logical, and affordable. And that was all the equipment that you played on.
0: Up until, I mean, like that equipment lasted. We took care of it. I mean, in my, my time. It today. still looks brand new.
2: Yeah. Practically brand new. Yeah. Uh, now, a lot of those instruments were damaged in the two hurricanes this year. And we're going to get a lot of replacements. But even the insurance claim representative and the adjusters were like, how old is this stuff? <laughs> like... It was bought in 2006. They're like, this stuff's 14 years old. They're like, it looks brand new. And they're like, well, the life expectancy is only 15 years on this. I'm like, no, no, not here it isn't. They're like, they're like, can you give me a realistic life expectancy? And I was like, when we bought it, I was going to be here for 30 years. So it's going to be 30 minimum. Mm. More, It better be more like 50. And they couldn't believe that. You know,
0: and instrument maintenance and care were a huge part of our um, experience at McNeese, and well, thankfully, so.
2: it, it's it's too many percussionists don't respect their instruments. So that, yep. in my opinion, they don't respect their craft. Exactly. And we're not taught to respect it from the very beginning. But all that instrument, secu- I mean, we have one of every Pearl Philharmonic snare drum.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We have single-headed concert toms we have double-headed concert toms multiple sets of each we have five vibraphones we have multiple drum sets that
0: were we looked had looked brand new we
2: i mean there were two identical session custom maple drum sets there's m- multiple houston percussion center custom drum sets yep. there's pearl you know practice room kits and i mean we just have great equipment mm-hmm. you know we have Sets a great timpani all adams timpani and um you know that's all great but then it was like okay what about the people who are going to use this equipment yeah, bodies <laughs> yeah so you know the beginning was hard you know mm-hmm. uh, there was a definite setback in recruiting efforts because of the hurricane Rita in 2005 it definitely had an a, a two-year impact on the overall recruiting base but then things started opening up and You know, I'm in my 17th year right now, um, of which the past four have been as an administrator. Um, Two years ago, I hired uh, Dr. Brian Nosny to replace me as the percussion uh, director at McNeese. But in my 13 years, you know, uh, there were the students that I'm directly responsible for, for and there's twenty six graduates mm-hmm. all but one went into music mm-hmm. directly out of school and I don't even know how many are still in music I think all except for two of the remaining mm-hmm. twenty five are still in music mm-hmm. uh, it's awesome you know these these people are very dedicated um, great educators are uh, yeah present
0: in our in our alumni network they still sure. do
2: a lot of gigging, gigging you know yep. it's just nice you know a lot of there's a lot of former students with graduate uh, degrees and you know it was a good time and I think that the future's bright you know there's uh, the local scene in Lake Charles is getting better because some of the former percussion students are now band directors in the area. Mm -hmm. So recruiting is a whole lot easier than it used to be. Yeah, (laughs) man. I mean, I used to to scrape, man. I used to go, I used to teach as many camps as I could and host as many things as I could. I didn't necessarily visit individual schools because there were so many. And I knew that people would get angry with me if I didn't give them enough attention compared to the next. So I just hosted everything I could Mm -hmm. at at McNeese, created festivals, annual events that people could come in and, you know, just have students participate. And, you know, it's led to um, increased students at McNeese, but it also led to an increase in students pursuing music from this area, not only at McNeese, but at other universities. And the one thing, you know, I've always been uh, adamant about is I'm not going to talk negatively about my colleagues within the state. And I'll take this. There are other institutions within Louisiana that definitely speak poorly of other institutions Mm -hmm. and for those of you who work there good for you i'm not going to name names but i think that's kind of crappy that people are like that um i'm more into hey all my colleagues within the state are excellent you know um i think there was an infusion of talent in a relatively close uh relatively narrow span of time you know Brett Dietz at yep. LSU was hired at LSU the same year I was hired here uh, Gary Westbrook was hired at Louisiana Tech at the same time you know and everything just kind of worked out man and, and, and you know Troy came in and at UL Lafayette and then you know it's progressed but I think there's a lot of great percussion teachers within the state and I think the the programs within the state have grown immense, have grown immensely. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's awesome. And I think, you know, just having students that are interested in percussion, regardless if they study at McNeese or not, I think that's really important. So I think growing the percussion community within the, within the whole state and and our little region here um, is definitely something I'm very proud of. That was definitely, Definitely a lot of work. A lot of uh, other,
0: a lot of other PAS chapters model a lot of what they do off of Louisiana's. Oh, really? Uh, membership. Yeah, yeah, I found that out when I went to Nevada. They're like Louisiana's got it figured out, hmm. numbers wise. You know, administration and stuff like that. And you know, I don't know. And it's been up and down, obviously. But you know, in a sense of uh, what it is now and, and what people are trying to do with it, um, people do model. Uh, and and look up to what louisiana is doing as far as just an overall like reach standpoint too you mentioned there's so many great educators and players within higher education the high school level in the state now that it's uh it's pumping out some
2: great talent it really is yeah i mean i think people in this louisiana texas mississippi i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of natural ability mm-hmm. in this in this area. Music is a central part of our culture, at least in Louisiana, and I think people are just born with that gift. And maybe they're not trained so much, but if we can give them that opportunity that I spoke of mm-hmm. right off the bat, man, it'll pay dividends. And you know, as long as I'm teaching, I'll I'm willing to give anybody that opportunity. Like honestly. When I started college I couldn't read pitches.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I had no idea that wasn't a part of my vocabulary. You could ask Ray Theo <laughs> what my first major in college was going to be. It was going to be marching snare drum. <laughs> and when I said that he laughed out loud in my <laughs> face. And he threw a theory book at me and said, "Figure this out." I was like, "No, dude, I'm I'm serious." Yeah. I don't need to know this. I'm just going to play marching snare drum. He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> Check this book out and it blew my mind. I'm like, thanks, Ray. Uh, I really appreciate you doing that for me because I needed that reality check. But Well,
0: we uh, we definitely appreciate you uh, as alumni, as friends, as little brothers. Uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate you greatly. I appreciate you more than you could ever know, imagine. Um, so uh, first of all, thank you for your time and finally got you on here.
2: Oh, man, it's my pleasure. And thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. Um, this stuff's really important to the to our future. You know, students need to need to hear from people like you and some of your guests. You know, they need to hear a positive message. And Appreciate it. Continue to please continue to deliver that to people because yeah. it's really really important. Absolutely. The um,
0: yeah, I mean, the, this is uh, this is what I've been talking about on previous episodes. Like, you know, just how much. Lonnie's done for me, and um, how much he means to me, and all my other, uh, all my other lifelong friends that I met within my time in McNeese. So, thank you, thank you, Dr. Benoit.
2: <laughs> Lonnie's just fine, yeah, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Love you, man. Love you too, dude.
0: The uh, you can follow the Rudimental podcast on all streaming platforms. You can listen on all streaming platforms: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all the good stuff. Down in the description below, you heard it in the monthly that I had earlier in the episode, but there's a support link where you can support the podcast for just 99 cents a month. It's uh, it's really cheap, it's affordable, um, and you're helping out the podcast greatly. You can follow my stuff, www.heartwelldrums.com. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all the good stuff, uh, and the same handle, Heartwell Drums. Uh, you, if you want to contact Lonnie in any way, find him on Facebook. You can find him on the McNeese State University website. Um uh, And if you got anybody who's interested in studying music, definitely check out McNeese because I can't vouch for it. Uh, I can't vouch for it any more than I already have. It's it's a great place to be, I promise you. Well, that's it for this one. We'll see you next time.